Hey there, guys. Wanted to tell you about something new. I've launched a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Andrew Brand. People have asked about getting more content, more insight, more information from me, and now that's available through various tiers. If you're able to join on patreon.com, you can get shout outs from me. You can get the Business of Sports podcast transcripts. You can get Ask Andrew questions, weekly newsletters, all kinds of ways to interact with me, including a monthly conversation about whatever you want to talk about, jobs in the sports industry, breaking into sports. It's all available now on patreon.com. Andrew Brandt, if you're able, please join, select your tier and be able to have further content and interaction with me. Patreon.com slash Andrew Brandt. I hope you join. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really special edition this week. The Washington Football Club, formerly known as the Redskins. The team I grew up with as a diehard fan growing up as a Washingtonian. The team that has undergone so much turmoil lately with an investigation going on, with sexual harassment. Even as we record this, the Washington Post coming out with new allegations by former cheerleaders against the owner, against people involved with the team, the broadcasters. It's going through all that. Well, they hired a new president, Jason Wright. Jason Wright was a former player, went to University of Chicago Business School, went to McKenzie, was a consultant, and now has been brought in as the first black president of an NFL team. So much going around about him and what a challenge he has. He is the guest on this week's Business of Sports podcast. We get in everything, his background, we get into what he's been doing since playing. Again, I talked about business school, talked about working and consulting and how he came to be the president of the Washington Football Club. And there are so many challenges ahead, not even talking about COVID, which we address as well. So without further ado, my guest this week on the Business of Sports podcast, the new president of the Washington Football Club, Jason Wright. Really happy to have a special guest on the podcast, the new president of the Washington Football Club, someone I've admired and followed throughout his career, playing, post-playing, and now Washington Football Club. Jason Wright, welcome to the Business of Sports podcast. Thank you so much. It's a really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I know you've been doing the rounds. It's nice to have you be on your dance card as well, especially as someone that had a background as a player agent and a team executive and sort of get into that a little bit. Uh, let's start at the background with you because I, I've seen and heard some things about you. I was really impressed the way you talked about your upbringing and a father that obviously had a full-time job, but was also activist, a mother that worked for an airlines. And you were sort of instilled with a real sense of not only work ethic, but purpose from early on. Yeah. If you could talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, what, 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 uh, what you're referencing is, you know, my dad was a civil rights activist and, you know, but eventually, you know, realized that you got to pay the bills. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, uh, it wasn't a professional thing at the time. And uh, he you know, became a chemical salesman and then realized, like, and actually to provide for his family in the way he wanted um, and to create opportunities for us to actually go out and have broader impact on the world than he could imagine. Um, he really wanted to have, give us a chance for economic empowerment. And um, so he started his own business going door to door, selling insurance, you know, getting wow. doors in his face. You know, that's hard stuff. Yeah, I can't imagine the, like the resilience and the fear and the worry in the back of his mind. Like, I don't know if we're going to get paid, you know, and taking out the massive loan 
to get a franchise, you know, at the time and thinking about paying that back. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable. And then my mom doing her part to just work and pay the bills on the interim, you know, like flying turnarounds from LAX to Tokyo to get back in time to minimize our spend on childcare, you know, um, it's just really remarkable. And I think for them, you, you actually put it really um, eloquently, a combination of work ethic and purpose. You know, they had a purpose to make sure that as they would put it, their ceiling of achievement was their kid's floor mm. for achievement and that they needed to grind to do it. <laughs> and, and that's a little bit of how, you know, I see the world too. You know, there are things I care about there, are, you know, causes I care about things that I want to see happen in the world. And I see my role in it um, as, you know, working really hard, um, creating opportunities for others. Yeah, yes. My kids are part of that, but broader than that, helping to create opportunities for others, especially economically um, and, and that allowing us to, you know, I guess, move to being a better and more functioning society over time. Yeah. And I didn't really want to get to this at the beginning of the interview, but since you mentioned it and, and activism and the bigger purpose, we're at a time where obviously the world is afire with a lot of different things, but it just seemed like after June, after the Floyd protests around the country, everyone kind of settled back and that's always what happens. People settle back to their norm, their homeostasis. And here we are again, as we record this, we're a couple of days removed from the Jacob Blake shooting in Wisconsin. We're a day removed from the Detroit Lions, basically canceling scheduled activities. Um, just as you see it and now leading a club, what, what do you see coming out of this, the reaction yeah. Lives Matter and and obviously your plans, which obviously are still being developed in instilling this in the culture at the football club there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, on the football side, you know, I think Coach Rivera has set a clear marker and I'm fully aligned with not just the strategy that he has for, you know, engaging topics like this and engaging the team on topics like this, but also just the spirit and the heart behind it as well. So, you know, what Coach Rivera set out, and it is our team policy around, um, you know, guys using their very valuable and hard-earned platform uh, to speak on causes like this, not just this, but causes like this around criminal justice, racial equity, whatever it is. Um, Coach Rivera has basically said this. It's like, look, you know, my thinking on this has evolved over years through conversations with my players, my fellow coaches, and others. And our whole nation is going through a bit of an evolution in thinking about this. If your thinking hasn't evolved on this topic over the last few years, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Right. You're stuck. You're stuck for some reason. Um, I think all of us, no matter your starting point, you have learned more. You have grown in your thinking about topics like this around equity in society. Um, and then he said, I went and read the Dalgon Constitution. <laughs> and when I read the Constitution, it said to me that, Part of making this nation great is people being able to express their views to help us evolve and move as a nation into something better, to fulfill the promise of the original framing of the Constitution. And, and he said, because of that, I'm going to give my players space to do what they need to do to express themselves and do what they believe is their part in moving us towards a more perfect union. And he said, and I, I know what I'm going to do around the anthem and this and that. And he stated those things. That's what he said but I'm gonna give my players space to do that. And I am fully behind this, both in letter and in spirit. Um, because for me as a player, part of the big value 
of why I put in the blood, sweat and tears on the field was because I did have a platform. Um, and I affirm that in our players. I affirm that in sports writ large. I affirm that in anybody, wherever you sit, whatever your platform is, whatever your sphere of influence is, you should, you should use it for the things that you care about and to espouse your values. That's a personal belief. So I'm behind it. Um, and I very much affirm all the various ways that guys raise attention to the causes they care about, especially as it, as it pertains to actually taking action. Um, and doing something to improve outcomes uh, and change society in a tangible way on whatever it is they care about. Um, so that's 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 one piece of it. Um, uh, and, and maybe that that starts to answer the question, Andrew. Yeah, we'll get to the business side as well. But on the football side, you reference your career playing. Let me ask you this: If you were in a moment of time like now, then, or even even, I'm sure you faced issues like that during your playing career. Did you feel restricted, maybe too strong a word, but did you feel hesitation to take these views, these affirmative stances, A, as a player, but more so as a down-the-line player, not a star? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not LeBron, who's going to obviously, not right. someone right. who's going to be insulated from any kind of negative consequences with the team. Did you feel that as a player? Um, I did not. I did not personally as a player, but we also weren't in this environment, right? Um, uh, you know, the things that we were talking about at my st- uh, in my time, you know, while some people might have disagreed with them, you know, thinking about, you know, economic empowerment of you know, inner city communities is fairly non-controversial. <laughs> Education reform is fairly non-controversial. You know, statements on faith in sports you know, may be more controversial, but not, not substantially, right? They're not like in the center of a, fiery national dialogue. Um, so it's a different calculation than um, guys are making today. I think what we have tried to do is create an environment, and what Coach Rivera has tried to do is create an environment on this team, and I create this on the business side, an environment where that actually is not a factor, where that internal risk calculation of, is it worth it? Is there retribution? What will happen, et cetera, is non-existent. Off the table. Yeah, exactly. So I can't speak writ large. I can't speak for other clubs. I know that Coach Rivera has set that out for our guys to eliminate that. Or maybe you can't eliminate it. You minimize it to minimize it. And I absolutely want to provide that same environment on the business side. And on the business side, I think what it means, and this is every corporation I think needs to do this, is to give space for dialogue, to give space for folks of every background and all types to share how they are feeling about the current moment, what emotions it triggers, what it affects in them when they're, and that they're bringing to work with them. And then how do we as a company put supports around that, whether it is, you know, support for, uh, you know, benefits type support around, you know, counseling and out- outlets that are very personal or, you know, things that are more structural. You know, what do we put in place to ensure that you know our business environment is one that promotes equity in a way that resonates with folks across the workforce. Um, but I think it starts with giving people space to express um, and exp- and space to dialogue. So I think the best ideas come bottoms up, you know, through the workforce. And that's 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 my plan on the business side. Well said. And then as you know, as a player, you obviously were thinking about bigger things and you know, on to business school at Booth and, and, and McKinsey and now your role here. 
Did you find that uh, to be uncommon uh, among your peers playing where you were really thinking about post-career? And how did you sort of position yourself? Were you, were you doing internships in the off-season? Were you question. at a date in time where I'm done with this, I'm on to the next or did the, uh, you know that was not in your volition? They told you you were done with the yeah, effort. right, right, right. Vast right. majority of players. Yeah. So for me, I, I always feel like my my natural ability was um, a limiting factor that helped me have the right mindset <laughs> about my NFL career. When you run four six at the combine, <laughs> you know you got to think about what's next. <laughs> right there you were. Yeah. Right. You know, you know, I was, you know, I was mid four fives on a good day. Right. So, um, you know, so, so I was always thinking about it because, you know, I really, I really believed the aphorism of the NFL stands for not for long, you know? Um, and I always knew that I think my brain would carry me further than my legs, frankly. Um, if I had to bet on my talent, I would have bet there. Um, so I was always thinking about it. Uh, and what I wish I would have done more of, though, and it's hard. I think it's actually hard for guys. Maybe I mean, I'll step back and say I think it's actually hard. You can think about it, but it's hard to take action because in order to be excellent in the NFL, yeah. you got to be all in. It's about the minor details. Um, it's about the extra reps on the catching jugs. It's about you know paying attention uh, and watching extra film to understand exactly how you know, the inch wide you stepped affected your read and your inability to cut back into the hole. I mean, it is, we always say it's a game of inches. Like this is truly to me, like it's, it's ultimately the most intellectual of our sports. It's math, it's probability, it's details. Um, and, and so it actually requires not only a lot of physical investment, but also a ton of intellectual investment to be a successful player. And when you're rate limited in talent like me, it takes a lot of investment. <laughs> Uh, and so you need to spend the time to get it done. So it doesn't actually leave a ton of time to be proactive about some of the other things. Now, in the off season, I wish I would have taken more advantage of two things. One, the connections that I could have built while playing. I didn't understand how a network worked and how it creates opportunities for you over time. I almost still had this idealistic view that, oh, you just work hard, you get good grades, you perform, and then things happen. No, that is not how things happen. <laughs> people create opportunities for other people. Right. And so if I could go back, I would have built a really robust network of successful, interesting people that align with my values who would help me create opportunities for myself and others over time. I would have done that more. What I did take advantage of is I, the things that I was interested in or the things that I was passionate about or I thought might be interested in, I did internships in off seasons. You know, one off season, I, uh, I basically, you know, did a bunch of seminary courses. I learned hermeneutics. I learned theology. I learned a bunch of stuff because I was interested in that and thought that might be something I did. Um, then when I was in Arizona, one of my best interns, internships was working at Arizona State in the Sun Devil Club. Um, I was running their ticket. I was part of their ticket office. Uh, I was working in their ticket office, um, you know, selling season tickets across sports and giving stadium tours and actually really valuable to me now. Uh, in you know, where I'm sitting now, you know, the hands on experience of being someone in one of those call centers, um, you know, really helped me sort of chart my course. Um, and so, you know, yes, I did take some advantage of, you know, the vocational opportunities that gave me a vision for my skill set and what and what was out there. But, man, I wish I would have done more um, around my network. And when you go to Booth, when you go to McKenzie, 
you're in your, you're in it, you know, just like you were in, in football. Yeah. Did the, the, the idea of returning the NFL in, in any kind of administrative executive role cross your mind before it the last couple months? It did not. It did not. Um, it wasn't really on my radar. I, when I, when I started at Booth, um, like I like to say my inner nerd came raging back. It had been suppressed a little bit for a few years in the league. And, you know, I went to Booth at a very interesting, first of all, it's a very rigorous and quantitative place, which just lit a fire in my mathematic and analytic mind, which is actually my best mode of thinking. Um, and so, you know, I, I jumped in full force. I learned how to code, you know, I learned how to write algorithms. Um, I learned how to see what I call like the matrix ones and zeros code of financial statements. You know, I loved it. I helped start a social social enterprise while I was there. I got just I just ate it up. I just ate it up. Um, and as a result, my interest pivoted from let's meld the familiar and the past to the future to what else is out there. And that's why consulting was so attractive to me. It was a way to not have to decide what I wanted to be when I grow up and <laughs> continue to learn and continue to learn and glean and get ideas and understand different types of businesses and different industries. And it, all, it, it very much delivered on that promise. I've known people at McKenzie. Were you kind of sent in-house in different places where, like, understand the culture, advise, like, we're going to actually put you there? Yeah. So the way that the model typically works is, you know, we fully in, or I shouldn't say we, McKinsey. <laughs> no longer. I guess that's going to take a while. Um, fully embeds with the clients. Um, and it's not just about, like, going into a room, locking yourself in a room, coming up with the answer. Um, because that doesn't get implemented. That ends up being a stack of papers on a desk. The model is to sit side by side with clients, embed in their teams, do the problem solving together, bring some outside in ideas, analytics, databases, information that they might not be able to have on their own or not get as quickly on their own, You know, provide some additional support, analytic horsepower, but work alongside people because ultimately you wanna develop their capabilities so that they can carry it forward. Because you don't want, you know, at least the model at McKinsey is not to be around forever. Right. You know, the type of consultants that just want to sit there and, you know, get a permanent office in your building. <laughs> they want to build the capabilities and let you fly. And then move on to the next challenging, intractable topic, you know, to work with you on. Um, I actually see that paradigm, uh, uh, that, that model of capability building and addressing problems is how I want to approach things here as well. You know, this isn't about bringing in just some external expertise or areas that I know well, um, coming in and just fixing it myself and then saying, all right, you know, this is what I want. Here's the new plan. It's actually about working with the great talent we have here, augmenting that talent with folks that have expertise that we're currently missing in the organization and collectively starting to build new capabilities. You know, we have to build a robust HR enterprise here uh, and we're going to do that. Um, you know, that's that's part of what um, I know is going to be something we need to do e even before we get results from internal investigations and whatnot. <laughs> like I know that's what we're going to need to do. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other areas we need to you know modernize. Um, you know, our tools and capabilities um, and the way that we're approaching different aspects of the business uh, on the revenue side. Um, so I I know some of the things we need to do, and and that that capability building approach to make sure we have sustained impact is how I want to think about it.
Back more with Washington Football Club President Jason Wright in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. This is Andrew Brown telling you there are 100 million reasons why you should listen up. DraftKings is giving away $100 million in prizes to all their customers, including one lucky winner who will take on the $1 million cash prize. It's really easy to claim your share of the $100 million. Claim your share. All you have to do is download the app, sign up using promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S, enter DraftKings free football survivor pool. And while you're at the app, don't forget to check out all the great daily fantasy contests DraftKings is hosting for this week's basketball playoffs and, of course, the golf. So again, download the DraftKings app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S. Claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways. Put yourself in the running for the $1 million to cash top prize. Again, promo code ROSS. Get your share of $100 million in prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Back with more of Jason Wright. You sound very analytical. And speaking of the challenges you have, the external investigations, the Washington Post reporting about harassment and a toxic culture, the name change, of course, and all the things that have gone on with limited partners potentially wanting out. Uh, You were given this opportunity in terms of an interview process, I assume. Yeah. Whether it came directly from ownership or from a search firm or however it was done. Tell us about that process, because I think you were in a position to ask all these questions. That's right. And if you're going to take on this massive role, you wanted to know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and I can actually, you know, those three things, I think, are ones we can address. Um, and I can give you a little bit of behind sure. the curtain how I thought about those in the process. Um, you know, the process started with my network and the Snyder's network just overlapping at the right time. They were looking for a business executive. And it was kind of inevitable. You know, I've been... <laughs> Uh, a business leader in the D.C. area and former player for some time. And they're the owners of the NFL team in the D.C. area for some time. They connected at the right time. I jumped into the process that was already ongoing. And I think I've described this before. While we did talk about business, we talked about growing the enterprise, franchise value, all of that stuff. It actually, the whole conversation with Dan and Tanya were rooted in values. Uh, And they talked about culture as the unlock for the performance, both on the field and off the field for the organization. Values like inclusion, transparency, accountability. And and we didn't just talk about it in a frou-frou kind of way. (laughs) We talked about it in a concrete way. You know, from everything from what policies and procedures might we brainstorm having in place on the business side that would create that kind of culture? You know, what sort of talent and capabilities do we need in the organization or develop within our people to be able to actually espouse those values? Where would those behaviors manifest in growing the productivity um, and the profitability of the enterprise? We talked about it in a pretty concrete way um, and, 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 and got quite personal too. We talked about business mistakes we each individually made, which was you know, one of my favorite parts of the conversation, you know, me sharing, them sharing. And by the end of it, we were very, very, very excited to work together. Um, and if I think about the three things you laid out, um, uh, there, I have a different lens on each in each of the three. The first two I actually see as really big opportunities. Um, so the the investigation that's ongoing and issues that you know, we've had around sexual harassment and hostile work environment and all of that. I know that we have actually great talent around the organization, and I've seen it in three days here. We have really brilliant business minds on the business side of the house. 
And I expected that because when I think back to my time in the league, the way I characterize the folks on the business side were really brilliant people who could make a ton of more money elsewhere, but were in sports because they're passionate about the game and they want to be close to it. Right. I think that's very much true here. So I know that if we get the culture right, if we set clear expectations, people feel empowered, people feel safe, they can bring their full selves. We have great performance management processes and folks that don't meet our leadership bar find their way into something else. It is going to unlock all of that talent in a way that's going to be massively accretive to the business. Right. So I actually see it as a really great opportunity. And I know the pathways there. This is actually something I've done several times um, with issues almost exactly like this. Hmm. Depending on where the facts shake out, I know the three or four paths to get there. So to me, big opportunity that aligns with my expertise that might be scary to someone else. I'm not scared of it. Uh, the second one around the identity change. Man, what an exciting opportunity. A very hard, very hard challenge given the passions of our fan base, their connection to the history of the club. There's so much to work through. And we do have a brilliant marketing team that I think has gotten a great start on it. Um, but for me, it is the opportunity of a life. This is a generation defining business decision. Who doesn't want that as a chief executive? You know, I'd rather be doing, I don't know, for me, I'd rather be taking yeah. on something like that than counting beans. You know, um, then the, the, the last one around ownership, I have a different take on. Um, I, I don't know all the nuances of what's going on. You know, the classic is it's above my pay grade. It literally is, <laughs> it is literally above my pay grade. No, no. But, but maybe I'm being naive. Um, but to me, the simplified approach is to focus on expanding the value of the business and the franchise, because no matter what, if we do that, if we modernize, if we get better capabilities in-house, if we're growing revenue, if we have better fan engagement, all of these things, it does nothing but help that conversation as opposed to hurt it. And so I'm just trying to be a little bit focused there. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think you've concentrated your, your thoughts and comments, obviously, on the business side. And I was 10 years in Green Bay. We had a, we had a bright line, frankly, between business and football. It started way back with Ron, Ron Wolf, and to get him to join back in the early 90s, he's like, okay, but I don't want interference. Now, we didn't have an owner, mm -hmm. president, a CEO, and we had board of directors and executive committee. And as you noted, they stayed on their, their, their lane, with all kind of the pro shop and local politics and, like you said, the culture of the business I frankly, I was, I managed the cap and did all the contracts. I was kind of that fulcrum point between yep, yep, yep. Which was very long-term and the football side, like, Hey, Andrew, can we get this guy signed today? Like yeah, yeah. field by, by tonight. So I seen it. And I think what you're describing is very familiar. So just for you to, to articulate it, mm -hmm. Ron Rivera is going to handle that. Yeah. And you're going to be on the other side. Now, is that that sounds good, but mm -hmm. if you have player issues, if you have something that rises to the level of, of your attention, you know, it can't be that black and white in terms of, hey, I never will touch the football side, correct? Well, I think there, you know, I, I want to say never, but, you know, yeah, there, yeah the, pra the practicalities require collaboration across us as the two chief executives of this, you know, great enterprise. Um, the way I've described it, the bright lines, is that ultimately Coach Revere delivers wins and losses 
and ultimately I deliver dollars and cents. Okay? That's the oversimplified view of you know the bright lines. Um, obviously, you know wins and losses help <laughs> dollars and cents. Uh, uh, but th those are the bright lines in terms of where we focus our attention and where we are where we are running point. That said, there are obvious areas where we have to collaborate closely across our teams. And I've actually seen really seamless communication and collaboration this week. Even in my top team meeting, the football folks who are engaged on that are just, number one, really smart, <laughs> which, is, which is great. Uh, they have good business intuition, too, for some of the things that we're facing where we cross over um, and are operationally good executors. So it's, like, it's just a really good setup. Um, but the places we overlap in the near term, I, I think, are in two things. Anything related to, you know, game day operations and execution will overlap. You know, my folks are running the stadium, the grounds, et cetera, on the operations side. We're all co together collaborating around COVID-19 and you know, our health and safety strategy around players and staff and others. Um, those are joint decisions where we are you know, very much embedded together um, with maybe one group playing a slightly heavier role than the others. Um, but then also, to your point, in the message that we take out of the building, we are very much in sync. You know, Coach Rivera and I talk about the words we use specifically. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about how we want to express our culture externally, because it is one culture across the two parts of the organization. You know, there are different manifestations of inclusive, transparent and accountable on the football side. And there are other ones on my side, you know. Coach Revere chewing out the team on Saturday after a poor practice is accountability on the football side. Uh, performance measurements and transparency into how we're performing is accountability on my side. Like, mm -hmm. They're different manifestations, but it is the same culture. And that's where we have, that's the trickier place to be aligned, but the place where we are the most rock solid heading in. And it's interesting you're both new. I mean, it sounds like he's the old guy, but he's been there. He hasn't coached a game. That's right. That's right. That's he's right. Running this operation in this incredibly difficult environment uh, has his own personal health issues and leading the name change. I mean, it. and now you've, you know, I guess what I'm sort of suggesting is there really is a new direction yeah. with the Washington Football Club, which doesn't have a name. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, as a personal Washingtonian growing up my whole life as a diehard fan, obviously that had to change when I started working for another team, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm energized. And I think that's, that's good. I hear it from my colleagues in DC that, you know, there's some energy around this, which is that's great. Good. That's good. I, and, 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 you know, to your point, you're not the only diehard, uh, you know, or former diehard running around. This is an incredibly engaged fan base. And if there's anything I learned in my week zero of engaging the media and engaging with fans substantially, this week it's been more about business, it's been more internal. Um, but if there's one thing I learned last week, it is how valuable an asset we have in our fans. Yes. Um, because irrespective if, uh, as to whether or not, you know, some folks, that passion is more negative than it was in the past, that passion is still there. And that is something that we can absolutely build on by rethinking the type of engagement that we have. Um, so I'm very excited about that as, uh, as a, uh, a tailwind. Yes. Uh, as we think about revamping the business, improving productivity, growing, uh, growing our revenue over time, expanding the value of the franchise. Yeah, and in our final minutes, I just wanna ask, 
you've talked about internally and you've talked about working with Coach Rivera. What about externally and primarily the league? I mean, you're you're new. Are you in the office now for the first? Yeah, time? yeah. I got. Okay, I started coming in on Monday. Yep, and have you had conversations league wide? Obviously, I'm sure the commissioner was probably part of uh, your hiring process. Are you talking to other executives, other yeah, owners? Yeah, the commissioner actually wasn't part of the hiring process, but I talked to him shortly after I was hired, and um, he was super helpful in helping me think through you know, who to connect with in the league office to get smart. You know, Troy Vincent is you know a friend and a great, um, great resource. Um, you know, for me in this process, and you know has already helped me think about you know what resources there are to draw on from the league in getting up to speed. Who's been there? You know, who are the comparable? Who are folks who have been in comparable situations? Who to talk to? I mean, he's just, he's been super helpful and, and obviously given a bunch of direct guidance himself as well. Um, you know, there are other folks that I know in and around the league that I've got on the calendar I haven't gotten to yet. Um, but I, yeah, I actually really, uh, you know, I hadn't understood because I hadn't sat in this chair yet, the dynamics between the team and the league, but they very much have made themselves a resource to us uh, on all things business related. And I can't wait to draw down on that. Yeah. And, I, and you're talking to someone who was not a, I guess that uh, odd by first African-American executive because I dealt very often with people like Rod Graves, Kevin, yeah, Martin, yeah. the division that I was at the Packers. He was at the Vikings, uh, Ray Anderson, a good friend uh, who obviously, you know, uh, so to me, it's like, not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm understating it where everyone else has been overstating. It. Yeah, exactly. I've said that too. You know, like, you know, I, these leaders you mentioned, I worked under, you know, I played under a black head coach. So for me, it, it also, I think at a subconscious level was like, yeah, well, you know, black talent can thrive all, all over a sports, you know, franchise. Um, but I get that that is not everyone's experience. It's not the pattern recognition they have. And there is a gap between, you know, the level of representation on the field, most certainly, and the level of representation elsewhere in the business. And that is, that's, you know, it's a valid thing to you know, consider and think about. And let's just mark this as, you know, a, mo a moment of progress in that direction and on me to do a good job. I guess last question, we have to deal with the crisis playing through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Are you confident? Uh, I mean, infections are down as we speak today. Yeah. It's by a reference lab issue the other day, but so many things to thread the needle to make this happen. And we've seen yeah. different sports have different issues. Uh, are you confident and why? Blanket confidence would be the ultimate foolishness, in my opinion. I have confidence in our team here in-house, really high confidence, even more confidence than I had heading in. Mm. This week has made it clear to me that, you know, our head trainer, our leaders in football ops, compared, along with my head of operations on the business side, they know what they're doing. And they are excellent at execution, whether it's the technology that we have in-house, the processes we have in-house, the tiered system um, that we've built in, uh, the way that the facility has been you know, very quickly built in a way that um, minimizes the, the likelihood of infection is really remarkable. They're executing the hell out of this. Um, so I feel confident in that. I also feel confident in the flow of information from the league to us. You know, I've gotten updated information yesterday. Um, that came to all presidents and to all the folks that are leading, you know, infection control work at the clubs. Um, I'm really confident in the flow of information from the league so that we are informed. Um, what I'm not confident in is the changing nature of the pandemic. If there's one thing that I learned in serving businesses, because every business that we were serving, 
um, in my previous role, you know, starting in February, it was COVID. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you were working on, new product launch, culture change, operational efficiency, you had to think about COVID response and how it changed what you were doing from a business and operations standpoint. So I've been, I've been steeped in COVID world for the last six months. Right. I have some really good pattern recognition. I know the data well. Um, and I know if there's anything that it is that, that, um, that the prognosis for your company can change very quickly. What we learn about how things, how the, how the virus is contracted and spread changes frequently. The reliability, what we know about the reliability of testing and te- other technology changes. You know, on a, you know, it used to be very daily basis. It's now more weekly or monthly basis at which, you know, reliability, we're finding more about the reliability of technology. Things are evolving. And in order for me to, so, so I cannot be confident fully. What I can be confident in is our ability to make sure that we know how things are evolving, that we're engaging data around effectiveness of technology on, um, you know, false positive rates, things like that, that we're, um, getting the most up-to-date information on a location-by-location basis, especially when we think about travel. We know the environment that we're walking into, that we understand internally, you know, who, which folks are in most contact with others most frequently. And we have the technology that allow us to do that. We have to just keep our eye on all of that stuff so that as things inevitably shift, we know we have data on which to make decisions that give us the best likelihood of good outcomes going forward. But no, anyone who tells you like, yeah, we got this, COVID ain't going to be an issue, God bless. Well, one thing the data has shown with the NBA, NHL, Major League Soccer is that bubbling works. Mm-hmm. Now, you are quite an operation to try to bubble. Yeah. But, you know, infections are down because people have hunkered down in training camp. And I right. think people are smart, but you have to monitor that. You know, you're not going to bubble. That's right. right. I mean, yeah, you, you the, the principles of bubbling that are applicable are around protocols, behaviors, testing, and some sort of visibility into all of those things. Right. Right. Um, you know, that's what works in a bubble. It's basically keeping your eye on everything, having strict gui- guidelines for what you do and don't do that are rooted in science, and then you know, you know, testing to make sure that nothing is nothing has slipped. We're going to apply those same principles. We just won't be in one site. But if you think about a conceptual bubble, that is the facility and the individual homes of people involved with the club, that's our bubble. Yeah. It's just, and like- we, yeah. And we got to manage that bubble. Yeah. And then we're going to move that bubble <laughs> when right. we get on the road. <laughs> um, that's where it gets really tricky. Um, and and we're, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm, again, I'm confident, super confident in our ability to execute. And we can only control what we can control. And inevitably, if something happens somewhere, we'll pivot in response to that information. And fans, where are you with fans? Have you announced for the first one, two, three games? Yeah, our default is that we will not have fans this season. Um, I, I could go into all the details. And it was a decision made prior to me, but I 100% align with it. Um, uh, we can go into some of the data and, and, and research behind that. A lot of it based on uh, the experience of, um, you could call it interstate, but there would be uh, you know, international, but travel and European soccer. Um, and what we learned about the spread of the disease uh, through major events there that I think has really informed 
you know, Dan and Tanya and leadership's thinking about what we're doing with fans. Um, health and safety is first for us. We'll put a pin in it there, Jason. That's great. Uh, really enjoyed having you. I'm a personal fan, obviously a fan of the team. I look forward to the new energy and what you're doing there. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hope everyone enjoyed that. I try to bring you the best and brightest, the leaders in the business of sports. This is someone to watch, someone that could be a future leader, not only of a team, but the entire league in sports. Jason Wright, hope you enjoyed it. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, my musical producer, the one and only Sam Brandt, who I was lucky enough to visit last week. And of course, thanks for following me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Apple podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.